Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 47, please. The theme or the title that I've chosen for Psalm 47 is Praise of God Flows from the Life Focused on God. Praise of God Flows from the Life Focused on God. There are many consistent themes throughout the Word of God, and one of them is that contemplation of God results in praise of God. I wanted to title this message, When you think about God, you can't help but praise Him, and that is true when you think correctly about God. But I didn't want this passage to be an examination of what it means to think properly about God, nor did I want to make praise out to be something that we are duty-bound to perform, even if there is a reality to that. Rather, I want to put the focus where the psalm puts the focus, and that is on the joy that it is to praise God. And genuine meditation of God and what He has done should naturally lead us to praise Him. The last song that we sang, How Great Thou Art, it states, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds Thy hands have made. Then it goes on, Then sings my soul. My Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Do you see the flow there? We consider who God is and what he has done, and our heart responds with praising God. Our heart cries out, how great thou art. Or verse 3, when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Contemplation of God, or a life focused on God, leads to praise for God. We see examples of that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. At least that idea of not being able to refrain from speaking of God or praising God. Jeremiah makes this statement, which pertains to the discomfort that he experienced because he spoke of God and the necessity of speaking nonetheless. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, it says, this is Jeremiah speaking, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak of him any more. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up on my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Peter puts the inclination to speak of God in this manner as he stands before the Sanhedrin and is forbidden to speak of Christ in Acts chapter 4 verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That same God-given inclination or impulse is evident in Psalm 47. As the writer contemplates God, he breaks forth into praise and he invites us and even graciously compels us into praise of God along with him. So we're going to read Psalm 47 this morning and see and prayerfully experience that God-given compulsion to praise God as we contemplate God together. We're going to read Psalm 47, but before we do, let's go once again to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it has been a joy and a delight to already be worshiping you and praising you and exalting your name. And I thank you for the gift of music and the ability that you have given us to to express the emotion of our heart and the truth prayerfully of our lives in adoration for you. And I pray that that would be a continual reality and that you would cause us to spend time meditating and considering and and reading and, and with you so that that praise would spring naturally forth from us. 
we would see how great a cause we have to truly praise the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this morning we have opportunity and still the freedom to look into your word. And we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would apply the truth of your word to our lives and grant us the courage and boldness to, to step in line with the truth that you have presented and to so live according to your will. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to God, or to the king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. I'm enjoying this process of working kind of haphazardly or randomly through some of the Psalms. Because we come to... I mean, both Psalm 46, I said that it was one of the greatest psalms. And, and every psalm, as I guess as we go, we're going to say, this is another great one. This is another jewel. This is another treasure for us. This one I particularly like because there's nothing in here that is... It, it talks briefly about subduing the enemy under us. But in the normal transition of the psalm, you have he starts off with praise or he starts off with a, maybe a struggle. And, he, and then he goes on and he talks about his own experience, whoever the author was especially if it's David, right? The enemy has come against me, but God has intervened. Well, here we don't see much about that. This is simply and purely a praise song to God. This is an exaltation to God for who he is and what he has done. It's a beautiful psalm in that way. We We just pause and we celebrate and we praise and we sing the glories of God. This psalm particularly is enjoyable to preach because it breaks down so nicely. There are two stanzas in this, and it's a short psalm, so it should be a short sermon as well, right? We have two stanzas. Verse 1 to 4 is a stanza, and verse 5 to 9 is a stanza. And both stanzas begin with a call to praise God, and then immediately go into the cause to praise God, which makes for easy points. We are called to praise God, or to praise the Lord. That's the call at the beginning of each of those stanzas. And then we are given the cause to praise the Lord, the second part of each of those stanzas. So the first stanza, verse 5 to 7, simply that. We are called. You are called. I am called. The call of the one who is a child of God, one of the calls upon his life, is to praise God, is to, ed- is to exalt God and glorify God. Above all else, to glorify the name of God. And the first thing that I want you to notice about that point is how many verbs and what kind of verbs action words, are used here in these first couple verses. He starts off with the one, clap your hands, all you peoples. He goes on with another one, shout to God with a voice of triumph. And then down in verse 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. He keeps going on, for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. So you get the idea, sing is used five times there, clap your hands and shout to God are also used. Praise of God involves action on our part. 
This isn't something that is unresponsive or blase. It's not something that is an apathetic agreement with something. This is passionate and spirited and involves action on our part. Praising God involves us entering exuberantly into the glorification of God. Try to read the first verse in a monotone voice without emphasis or emotion. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice. It's even, even there, there's a little bit of inflection, isn't there? It's hard, it's almost impossible to read it without there being some kind of inflection in it. Because it involves us entering into what? Praise involves us. We are called and encouraged here in this psalm. Almost commanded, not quite, because it wants it to be something that flows from us out of adoration for God, but we are called to enter into it and to, to clap and to sing and to shout unto God. So the first sub-point that we see in this call to praise is that we are to praise God cheerfully. We are to praise God cheerfully. Now, I realize this may scare you a little bit. It scares me a bit. But why is it that we can cheer on anyone else for doing anything else, and yet we are so hesitant to cheerfully praise God? Now, I'm not advocating for giving God a round of applause that has always bothered me. That action or sentiment, it bothers me. It seems as if we reduce God to a good team who's doing a good effort, and then we give him a round of applause. It's like we're saying, attaboy to God, which seems very, very sacrilegious to me. But can we be more exuberant in our praise of God? Absolutely we can. Should we be more exuberant in our praise of God? Probably. I was wondering whether it was going to happen this week. It didn't happen this week, but last Sunday... In the music time, we broke into clapping. And it wasn't that fearful, hesitant um, clapping that sometimes takes place, but just wholehearted, joyful clapping that was expressing praise to God. It was expressing worship, as the psalmist here calls us to. What about raising a shout or a hallelujah to the Lord? We're almost sounding charismatic here. And I don't want you to be exuberant if you're not feeling exuberant. And I don't want you to be exuberant just for the sake of being exuberant. Like, I'm going to put on a cheerful face regardless of how I'm feeling. And I'm also not saying that everyone expresses their enthusiasm in the same way. That would be false. It would be hypocritical of us. Some of you, that's just not your temperament. And I understand that. But some of you, it is your temperament. Some of you, it is your natural inclination. And yet you push it down and you hold it back. So I'd encourage you that you need to let loose a little bit and not worry about what other people think of your praise of God, but simply cheerfully worship the Lord. Enter into it with joy and thanksgiving. If the psalmist could shout and clap and sing, 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 I think I got that right, why don't we? Regardless of how you look at that and regardless of what your expression of that cheerful worship is, we need to be there. And we should do it. We should sing with a heart of cheer because it is coming from a heart that is filled with cheer by God himself. We should be rejoicing because in Christ we have every reason to rejoice. And we should let that joy that we say is in our heart affect our face and our voice. We should let it out and express it. That's the first thing that I want you to notice about this call to praise. The second thing that I want you to note is kind of a little bit of a hidden idea here, but we are to praise publicly. It says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout 
to God with a voice of triumph. About that phrase, shout to God with a voice of triumph, Matthew Henry's commentary, and he's the authority in all things, he says this, Shout unto God, not to make him hear, his ear is not heavy, but to make all about you hear and take notice how much you are affected, how much you are affected and filled with the works of God. Shout with the voice of triumph in him and in his power and goodness that others may join you in the triumph. So even the idea here of shout of triumph, we don't, it's not that we are expressing it to God versus other people. We shout it aloud. Not because God doesn't hear even in our whisper, but because other people need to hear our shouts of triumph in God. We shout it aloud for the world to hear that we are victorious in Jesus Christ. We shout it aloud for the world to know that they can't steal our joy, that nothing that they bring against us is going to ruin that. We shout it aloud for everyone to know that we serve the victorious King of Kings. Our praise of God is not to be hidden. It's not to be secretive. It should rightfully be shouted from the mountaintops. And far too often, I think, even though we may have a hard time confessing this or admitting this, we are ashamed of who God is and what he has done. We want to whisper our praise for God. We're too often afraid to stand out in the world and proclaim the wonders of God and what he has done. We're hesitant to do that. And it's not just maybe because we'll get some backlash or some feedback from it. But does it actually stem from this insecurity about who God is? A little bit of a, I'll keep God inside my bubble or inside the church rather than out in the world. And I think it's time that we begin to praise God a little bit more exuberantly out in the world and not just in church. We need to do it more exuberantly in church, absolutely. We need to do it more exuberantly out there as well. It's time that we were a little more vocal about that. It's time that believers were a little more vocal, not just in opposing things that are in the world, but that we were a little more vocal in declaring the victory and the triumph that God has granted us. That we would give him credit publicly and at times loudly for who he is and for what he has done, rather than be hesitant in those areas to proclaim him to rejoice in him unashamedly, even in the eyes of the world. So that's the second thing. Praise is to be public. The third thing that we see here in regards to this call to praise God is that we are to praise intelligently. That's a good one. That's one that we like. Perhaps we're more comfortable with that one, right? We're a little more comfortable praising intelligently than we are cheerfully or publicly. Verse 7 here calls us to sing praises with understanding. Adam Clark's commentary says, Let sense and sound go together. Let your heart and your heads go with your voices. Understand what you sing and feel what you understand and let the song be what will be, sorry, what will give instruction in righteousness to them who hear it. Sing wisely. Sing wisely. Sing or praise intelligently. That was why I went up onto the stage just before I began preaching and grabbed this here song, Jesus is King. 
Jesus is king and I will extol him, give him the glory and honor his name. He reigns on high, speaking truth here. He reigns on high, enthroned in the heavens, word of the Father exalted to us. He is steadfast and certain, it says in the second verse. He's gone through the the curtain, touching the throne. That's some pretty good theology there, that he is the holy of holies now. We have a priest who is there interceding for us, Jesus Christ, the high priest, pouring his grace on our lives. We come to him, our priest and apostle, clothed in his glory. I mean, there is some good theology in this song. It is good for us. It is imperative for us that we sing intelligently, that we sing with understanding, that we praise intelligently. Much that passes, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but much that passes for praise music today is devoid of sound reasoning. Much of it tends to be light and superficial, but there's no reason for that. Why would we have superficial music when we serve the glorious King of Kings? When we, when we have the truth of who He is within the Word of God presented for us to read and to understand and to convey. When we have the glory of solid theology, why would we substitute it for weak theology or no theology at times? We have great, solid, eternal truths to reflect on and to guide us in our worship. We don't utter pretty words simply for the sake of uttering pretty words. We are to have sound reasoning and sound theology in our praise of God. And that idea flows immediately here in this psalm, after the psalmist says, For God is King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. He has just declared, he is singing an incredible truth. God is sovereign over all. Sing praises with understanding. Let the world know. Let the church know. Let others know. God is king over all. That same thought is reflected in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. There it's speaking about the parameters that are placed upon the practice of spiritual gifts. And I realize there's a lot in there. But one of the verses there in verse 15, it says, what is the conclusion then? He's just talked about um, speaking in tongues and having an interpreter so that it can be understood versus not understood. But he says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Our prayer and our praise are to be directed by the Spirit of God and are to flow from and to minister to the mind, to the intellect. They are often an emotional expression, but it is an emotional expression based on truth, not just an emotional expression based on emotions. Many years ago, I took 101 discipleship course. This was when I was a teenager, and a youth pastor came through. He was actually from the Bible school that I ended up going to, and he asked me if I would like to go through this discipleship. I don't think he called it that, otherwise I probably would have said yes. <laughs> so he's one hour per week, I would meet with him and we worked through, I can't remember what it's called, but a discipleship course. And the, one of the very first things on there is this picture of a train. And you have facts is the engine. And then you have faith is the next car. And then you have feelings is the third one. If you get that mixed up, you're going to have a problem. If your relationship with Christ or anything spiritually is based on the caboose of feelings, you're going to derail. But it's based on facts, which we now have come to believe through faith in Jesus Christ. And it expresses itself in emotion. Facts, faith, and feelings. Keep them in that order. 
Testament. And in our songs, we can, we can sing truth. It should affect our emotion, absolutely. That's where the cheerful praise comes in. Don't separate the two. Don't make it one or the other. May we sing praise intelligently, with understanding, fully expressed in all the emotion that God has blessed us with. So we are called and we are motivated and we are challenged and prayerfully inspired by this psalm to praise the Lord. And so we do so cheerfully and we do so publicly and we do so intelligently. The second thing in the second stanza here that we see is that we have cause to praise the Lord. Now, although the psalmist starts with the call to praise God, the majority of this psalm focuses on the cause, the cause to praise God. And we see here that the cause is infinitely great, for the cause is God himself and all that he has done. When we truly consider God and what he has done, how can we help but praise him? Look at what is said of God that should cause us to praise him. Verse 2, it says that he is the Lord Most High. That's just in the title. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. But just in that name, the Lord Most High. That is literally Jehovah Elyon. It means the eternally self-existent one who is supreme above all others. This is the God who we serve. Jehovah, the eternally self-existent one or the eternal one. Elion, supreme, the eternally existent one who is supreme above all others. This is the God that we have cause to praise. He is eternal. He is the uncaused cause of all things. And so he is worthy of our adoration. He is supreme. He is above all others. And then it goes on and says that he is awesome. Great cause to praise God. He is awesome. It says he is the great king. And he is over all of the earth. This is stating facts about God for which we can praise him. He goes on in verse 3. It says, he subdues the people under us. That means that he is the sovereign over the nation. And for Israel, he is the protector and victor for his people. Great cause to praise the Lord. Verse 4 speaks of him being the God who provides eternally according to his good favor in what he has promised, what he chooses to bestow upon his people. Verse 5 to 7, although part of the call to praise, also reminds us of that cause that God is that eternal victor. It says, He has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And that wasn't just referring to the king who may have ascended to the throne during the period that this psalm was written. But it is speaking of Jesus Christ ascending into heaven, having defeated death and the grave. He is triumphant. Jesus Christ is the victor. He is that Savior, the one who is able to save because he rose from the grave, defeating those things. So we have cause to praise him in Jesus Christ. Verse 8 continues, God is the sovereign ruler over all the nations. That's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us today. God is a sovereign ruler over every government, over every ruler, over every, whether they are a good one or a bad one, whether it's a democracy or some despot in another country, God is sovereign. He rules over all the earth. No one rises up and challenges God for his position. None is comparable to God. He is Lord. He is master over all. Verse 8 continues to show this 
He is the God who is in final authority and total authority over all things. He reigns over the nation. He sits on his holy throne. I like that. He's not a judge who has to get up even. He sits there. Absolute and unquestionable authority. This belongs to our God. He is ruler of all. You can spend a bit of time there on God being that authority. But he is the authority to which every person, and in fact, every created thing must kneel. Every created thing comes as a supplicant to the throne of God. That includes angels and demons, everything. We all must kneel, either now willingly or one day unwillingly, before him as that sovereign king, as that Lord, as that authority. Nothing is beyond his rule. Nothing is outside of his authority. This is incredible cause for us to give praise to God. Regardless of what is happening in the world, and there is a lot happening in the world, regardless of of how governments rise and fall or disintegrate, or how people rise and fall, God is over all. As we face mass struggles in the world, it's good to know that he's still the final authority. Nobody else is the final authority except him. This psalm clearly establishes the worthiness of God to be praised. It lays out our just cause to praise him. If we were to break it down in categories here as to why we should praise God, I see there being at least three. We praise him for his majesty, and he is majestic. We praise him for his sovereignty, his ruler over all, and we praise him for what he has done. That pretty well covers all things. Through time and eternity, we praise him for his majesty, we praise him for his sovereignty, and we praise him for how he has intervened in the affairs of mankind, what he has done. We have cause. If it covers all things, we have all cause to praise God. Now, verse 9 starts out, or it seems like a bit of a strange verse. It says, The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Normally, when you read of the princes of the people gathering together, it is in opposition to God. You picture the coming battle of Armageddon, but that's not what it's speaking about here. This is not the multitude of armies against God, but this is the heads of all of mankind bowing in submission to God. Now, whether this is speaking of the day the psalmist wrote this, and there was some situation that fit that, there was a recognition that the God of Israel was the greatest God over all the earth that could be, or whether this is speaking of the submission of the Gentiles to the rule of God as proclaimed in the gospel, or even if this is speaking of the final victory of God when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, we don't know. But we do know that at every one of those stages in history, God is the sovereign Lord of all before whom all mankind should bow. I don't know what the psalmist had specifically in mind. And frankly, it doesn't matter because whether then, now, or eternity future, we have cause to bow before the one who is supreme. I'm inclined to think that this is speaking of the period of grace that we are in now, where the good news has gone out to all, and Jews and Gentiles are united in one new body, the church. This is willing, and it seems in this passage here, to be willing subjection or willing submission to God. It's not being forced upon them. It's saying they are gathered together in submission to God. And that just serves, if it is now, it serves as a reminder for us. 
that in this day, God has done a great work. And so we have great cause. We have, in a sense, greater cause than ever before to praise God. God has done a work that is miraculous to behold and, and which we are immensely privileged to be a part in. That He has extended that grace to all who would fall upon their knees before Him and own Him as Lord and Savior. That it's not restricted for the Jews, but it is to, to anyone who comes. The wonder of the grace of God displayed in our generation, in this era, in the, in the era of grace, is ultimate cause, in my mind, for me to praise God. If the angels marvel at the grace of God demonstrated towards you and I, shouldn't we be marveling at His grace, praising Him for His grace? Now, there are two last things that are said of God in verse 9. It says, for the shields of the earth belong to God. And then it says, He is greatly exalted. The illustration of the shields of the earth belonging to God is an interesting one. Literally, it means that all of mankind belongs to God. Power and authorities, or here captains of armies and all the men under them, they belong to God. As a bit of an illustration of that, particularly as it pertains to the shields, I'm a bit of a fan of an author named Bernard Cornwall. He generally writes historical fiction primarily about battles or periods of war. And one of his series set in the 7th and 8th century AD deals a lot with battles between swordsmen and bowmen. It's this ancient infantry, and they all carry shields. And it goes back to this an awful lot, talking about the shields. And on every shield is painted the symbol of their master or their patron. And when a castle or a walled city was being attacked, the defending army would initially, before the battle actually begins, would hang their shields from the fortress walls. And of course, there was always the deception that goes along with war, right? Such as hanging many more shields than there actually were warriors to use them, or maybe even hanging the shield with a symbol of a great king who wasn't actually there, or a great warrior. But the picture of hanging shields from the wall when each shield represents one warrior and each emblem on that shield represents a great commander or a great king, that clarifies that picture for me in verse 9. The shields of the earth, of all the great kings, and every soldier, of of everyone who could ever bear a shield, it belongs to God. What What an array that would be. What a display that would be. And, and it, the idea is also that because these people aren't coming against him as opponents here, but it presents the defense of God, that every single one of those greatest, the greatest of the warriors, there's a real great warrior in that series that I really like, but the greatest of the warrior belongs to God. All of them are God's. They belong to him. No wonder it says, He is greatly exalted. There is no army for or against God in that sense because He owns them all. Everyone ever born, high nobility or no nobility, belongs to the one master of all. He is greatly exalted. He truly is is God above all gods. He is king above all kings. Give God praise. Give God praise. Give God praise. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice 
of triumph. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of all the earth. Let's pray. Dear God, we recognize you as who you are, for who you are. And we pray that you would cause us to see you, to consider you, to meditate upon you. I pray that we would not just give mental assent to what we know about you, but that as we come to understand the truth of who you are as contained within your word, that we would marvel at it, we would wonder at it, we would consider in, in awe of who you are and what you have done. And that as we do so, Lord, you would cause that joy and that praise to well up within us cheerfully and publicly and intelligently. Help us not to shut our brains off when we begin to worship either. May it not just be emotionalism for the sake of emotionalism, but it may, may it be genuine emotion because we fall apart at the wonder of who you are. And it flows forth from our lips, from our whole being. Cause us to be that shining light of the wonder of Jesus Christ. In this place, and in the world as well, cause us to shout aloud the praises of our glorious King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.